0: The following message was recorded as part of the morning worship celebration of Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church in Eatonton, Georgia. More information about the ministries, staff, and worship offerings of Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church can be found on our website at www.lopc-pca.org. Let me invite you to open your Bibles with me. And we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians, and we're going to look at the fifth chapter starting with the 16th verse. 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter, beginning with the 16th verse, and we're going to study through the 21st verse. Verse. Please, as soon as you found your place, look up. Keep your finger in your Bible. And I encourage you, every Sunday, look back at your word and see why I'm saying what I'm saying. Let's get some help. Father, I ask you to bless us in a unique way right now. So many of us have an education. So many of us have the ability to comprehend, but Lord, we need to go a step further today. Your inspired word is before us because you have will that we understand your mind and that we learn from those who've gone before us how to live our life and what to expect and what you're doing. As we approach the word this morning, I pray that you'd make our minds unusually alert And help us to hear and help us to remember. Thank you for what you're about to do, Lord. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You're going to get to know my family really well before all this is over. I mentioned last Sunday night that one of my fondest memories was going to a granddaddy's house. We went virtually every Sunday afternoon and I I just lived to be around my granddad and uh, there were some things that happened on Sundays when we'd get there. Mom and dad and I would drive into the driveway and as we drive into the driveway I'd look at this two story home next door to theirs and at their manicured front yard which was absolutely beautiful and I'd get out of the car and I'd walk in the house and say hello to my grandmom and my granddad and what. a uh, other family members who'd already assembled, and then I'd walk right straight out the back door. And I'd stop outside the back door, and I'd look over at Mr. and Mrs. Black's backyard. They lived next door. And they would be sitting in two lawn chairs in the very middle of the yard with the Miami Herald newspaper reading the paper. And I guess they must have heard the door open and close because they'd always put their papers down and wave at me, and I'd wave at them And I was wondering this week when I was working on my sermon, I don't think I ever talked to them. I think I just waved at them, and they waved at me. But I knew who Mr. and Mrs. Black were. They had an interesting lifestyle. I don't know if they had children. I never met any if they did. But they had two cars in the garage, and on Monday morning, they would get up, and they'd get in the same car, and they would drive downtown Miami, and my grandpop told me that they worked in the same office building. And then in the evening, they'd drive home together. Well, one Sunday, I drove into the drive with my mom and dad. And I looked over, and I was utterly shocked. Mr. Black was sitting in the front yard in a lawn chair, reading the Miami Herald. Folks, he wasn't supposed to be in the front yard. I mean, I was a little boy, but I knew he wasn't supposed to be there. And you know, I didn't even look at him. I I just felt so awkward because something was wrong. I walked in the house, said hi to everybody, and went right out the back door. Mrs. Black was sitting in the middle of the backyard reading the paper. I couldn't get in that house fast enough to ask my granddad, what's that all about? He said, they don't like each other. Well, I didn't know what to do with that. I didn't know that husbands and wives ever had times when they were that kind of unhappy with each other. Granddad went on to say, you know, this last week, they've taken two cars to work. That sounds vaguely familiar, when people get upset with each other, they don't want to be around each other. Let me tell you the good news. The next week we drove into the drive and you know what I was thinking before we ever got on their street. I couldn't wait to see if Mr. Black was in the front yard again. He wasn't. I walked through the house, opened the door, let it slam like I always did. I looked over and they're sitting in the middle of the backyard and they put their papers down and they waved. And I waved back. And everything was okay now. I went in the house and I said, Granddad, they're in the backyard. What happened? He said, they like each other again. (laughs) Can you identify with that? Isn't it interesting how relationships just get all out of whack? And so often for even the wrong reasons. Our relationship vertically with the Lord, our relationship horizontally with other people. That's what our passage is all about today. How to be reconciled with God and with each other. I want you to look with me. We're going to read today from 2 Corinthians, the 5th chapter, and I'm going to start with the 16th verse. And folks, listen carefully. God has chosen to talk to you and to me today about this topic. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away, behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. I want you to look at the 16th verse for a minute. Therefore, from now on, that phrase means something new has just happened. There was a time when we lived in darkness, and now we live in the light. There's something that's happened where God, by his grace, has come to us, has touched us, has brought us into a relationship with him, and now we're hearing from Paul, now that that's happened, folks, things are supposed to change. Now, wouldn't it be wonderful if they just changed? If we could walk in the Spirit and never, ever step back into that darkness. But you know, and I know, that's not how it works. Unfortunately, we have times when we're in darkness. And when I believe what the Lord is doing through Paul is he's saying, let me tell you how it ought to be, and this is what you ought to strive for. And we need to accept the challenge to strive for it. He says to us in that verse, therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. You know what that means? Quit judging other people. Quit being critical of other people. You want to be critical of somebody who's really deserving? Go stand in front of a mirror. See, we forget we forget that we, like everybody else, are sinners. And we forget that we have times when we do things that absolutely break the heart of our Savior. But what we often do, believer and non-believer alike, churchgoer and non-churchgoer alike, is we start inspecting each other. And we try to find fault with each other. And some folks are so preoccupied with that that it's the major focus of their life. They can tell you all kinds of things about other people and bring all kinds of hurt on those other folks. You ever try to help somebody when they're drowning? You know what you typically do, unless you've been trained? You swim out to them and you approach them from the front. That's a no-no. And when you get close enough and you're within reach of them, you know what they do? They want to get their nose and mouth out of the water. So they grab you and push you down. And momentarily, they can use you for leverage to get up and get some air, which they very much need, as you start to drown. A person who's critical of another person, some of the time, is doing just that. What they're doing is pushing other people down so they can increase in their own minds their own significance. And it doesn't work. It doesn't work because it's not a lasting kind of significance for you. And it doesn't work because other people in your family and other people who know you know what you're doing. Which makes you, in their eyes, because they're doing the same thing often, makes you even less significant did you follow that train of thought I had that all worked out in my head I hope you walked with me on that but it's it's very simple God doesn't want us to judge each other whatever our motivation for that that's not what he wants he wants us to stop looking at each other in the flesh And now that you and I are saved people indwelt by the Holy Spirit, he has something else he wants us to do. What he wants us to do is come along those folks when they truly are doing something deserving of some criticism. He wants us to come along and be understanding just like we would like somebody to understand us. And to come along and to help that person, to be an encourager to that person and not be critical of them. I've learned an interesting thing over the years. A lot of the folks who are very, very critical can't stand criticism. A lot of times, the sin or the fault we see in somebody else is ours. We recognize it in somebody else because it's so prevalent in our own life. Isn't that interesting? What God wants us to do is not just see what's going on in somebody else and then take a look at ourselves and try to get our life together spiritually, he then wants us to turn and be a friend to the other person. A little rabbit trail. Some of the people that we would be critical of are the very people God's put into our life to be a blessing, to love us, to be our friend. And because we are looking at them in the flesh, that relationship never develops. Isn't that a shame? <clears throat> because God is often working in that relationship trying to do something good for us. So what being said to us by Paul is, you who are born-again folks ought to be doing something different now, and you shouldn't be living in the flesh. Don't you know when Jesus walked on this earth, he had plenty of critics, plenty of people who looked at him with flesh eyes and tried to find fault in him? Interesting thing about some of those folks, when they came to know Jesus as Savior, they didn't do that anymore. Are you critical of Jesus? Or you just want to get to know him better and be with him? That's what happens when you're operating in the spirit instead of in the flesh. Look on down at the next verse, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Well, if you're in Christ, two things have happened that are really significant. Once when you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, your position changes in relationship to God. Instead of being out of the Garden of Eden, separated from Christ and separated from God with no way to get close to Him, all of a sudden your position has changed and you're now in His grace and you're going to spend eternity with Him. That's a praise to the Lord. That's what He's done because He loves us. The second thing is, we now have the potential to live a very different life. We are in Christ, and we are new creatures. We have a new heart. It's a heart that can be soft and loving and compassionate if we don't build walls around ourselves. It's a mind that can think. How can I love that person? How can I help that person? How can I come alongside them? Instead of being the old self and being critical of them and being separated and sitting in the front yard when somebody else sits in the back. He says to us, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things have passed away. He wants us to take that old person and he wants us to keep saying, Go away. I now belong to Jesus. And if you're like I am, you can start your day saying that, Lord, help me be more like Jesus because I'm going to have a challenge today. And and then as the day go by, stop and ask for forgiveness when you're not doing it. Get along doing what he wants you to do. Be that new person in Christ. And then he says an interesting thing. In verse 18. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You know what it means to be reconciled? It's like sitting down with your bank account and how you reconcile your expenditures and compare it to what the bank says you have in the bank. We all understand how that works. You know what happens when you're not reconciled with the bank? They're almost always right. And you got to do something to fix it. Well, what he's saying is, you're not always right. You start out as a sinner, born into this world of sinner, needing a Savior. By grace, he brings you into this wonderful relationship. And now covering you with the blood of Christ because he took your place and your place and your place and my place on a cross and paid the penalty for our sins, all of our sins, he reconciled us. He set things right between us. I have a mental picture. My mental picture is this. Our God who put us out of his presence because of the sin in us, Adam and Eve and everyone sins, our God is a righteous God and he is never going to allow an unrighteous person into his presence certainly not for eternity he has purged heaven and we all start out on the outside but by his grace because he's a God of love he did something that's unthinkable he gave his only begotten son to die for us that we might be reconciled to him and that we might be adorned with the righteousness of Christ to spend eternity with God. Some of you know that the Lord saw fit to take our middle child when he was 38 years old. I want to ask you a question. Have you ever loved anybody enough that you'd give one of your children? Folks, I never have. If Linda and I were to spend a lifetime with you and if I were to love you with all of my heart and be willing to do anything for you, I'd draw a line short of anything. No matter how much love I have for you, I would not give one of my children for you. And I don't think you would either. Imagine how much God loves us. That he gave his only begotten son that we might be reconciled to him. Isn't that an awesome love? And he loves you just as you are, just as you've been. And he has adopted you into his family and we're going to be his for eternity. And I heard it in Sunday school, you can't lose... What you didn't earn. You can't lose your salvation. It's a gift from God. If you look on at that same verse, he says, Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. We're the only religion in the world that believes that God is reconciling us to him. All of the other religions of the world teach you've got to reconcile yourself to God by good behavior. And if you can get enough good behavior to counterbalance the bad behavior, and you can die when you're on a good streak, then maybe you get to go into paradise, whatever they might call it. That's not what Christianity teaches. What Christianity simply teaches is that we are saved by grace. And it's not something we've done. He did it for us through Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's about his death on the cross. It's about his resurrection from the dead. And as adopted children, we are heirs. We're going to receive what Jesus received. We shall die unless Jesus comes while we're still alive. And he is going to create again each one of us with a new resurrected body. And boy, am I looking forward to that. Never to have a weight problem again. Get out of bed in the morning and walk and not have to be very careful. That's what he's done for us. He's done it through Jesus. The verse goes on to say, now that we've been reconciled to him, He has given us a gift. The ministry of reconciliation. Whoops. He's already given us a gift. If you give a gift to someone, you want to see him take the gift and put it in the closet in a dark place and close the door? What would that communicate to you? What he's done is he's given a gift to us. We who have already been reconciled. And he's saying to us, I want you to be ministers of reconciliation. You know what that means? That means I'm not supposed to have an estranged relationship with you and you and I with anybody else. And you say, well, wait a minute, Pastor. What about all those folks who've hurt me? What about them? If you don't look at them in the flesh... You start to understand what God sees when he looks at them. And he sees someone that is in dire need of love and encouragement. But if you get put off by the flesh, you'll never do what the gift gives us the opportunity to do. So what he wants us to do is to love other people. Those who hurt us when that happens, you can love your enemy. i read that someplace. We're supposed to love our enemies, aren't we? Quit looking at the flesh and love your enemies and become a friend. Ministers of reconciliation. When you are talking to someone or you're witnessing their behavior and you become aware that they're not reconciled with somebody else, now it's your business to be there for the Lord and to encourage them to be reconciled. Not just to listen to them talk about these broken relationships and you know almost every family has broken relationships. So as ministers of reconciliation, on the horizontal plane, we need to be reconciled to each other and we need to be ministers ministering to other people to help them be reconciled on that same horizontal plane with the people they're estranged from. Now, I don't want you to hold your hand up and I don't want you to respond, but you have some folks that you're not reconciled with? You know some people who aren't reconciled with other people? So often we don't have to look beyond our own families Well, don't put that person somewhere where you're not in contact with them instead pray about it and look for an opportunity to be a minister of reconciliation he goes on and says namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them Forgetting the trespasses. That's a critical thing. If you go back in history, 1804, July the 11th, a little before 7 o'clock in the morning, a man crossed over into New Jersey, and he went to a field with his second. About 7 o'clock in the morning, a second man appeared with his second, and they went into an open field and took weapons and stood back to back, and just like in the movies, they paced off and they turned around, and Burr and Hamilton fired. Hamilton first, he missed. Some say it was intentional, some say it was unintentional. Doesn't make a whole lot of difference, he missed. Burr took aim and fired and shot Hamilton in the abdomen. And the next day, he died. Now, what in the world was going on between those two men that would cause them to want to kill each other? One died, a statesman named Hamilton. The other, Burr, a statesman, was shunned by Washington was criticized by thousands of people for what he had done. They both lost, neither won. It's interesting, if you go back and look at history, you'll see some fascinating things. Burr ran for senatorial seat. He ran against Hamilton's father-in-law and handily beat him. And apparently that started the hard feelings. And then, as time went on, Jefferson ran against Burr for the presidency, and the most unlikely thing happened, they got the same number of votes. So the decision goes in to the House of Representatives of which will be president, which will be vice president, and Hamilton used his influence to make sure Jefferson became president and Burr only vice president. In 1804, they're at a gathering together. Hamilton insults Burr publicly. You know how that hurts? Have somebody talk about you? Same year, Burr runs for the governorship of New York State. Hamilton politics against him and uses his influence to get Burr to not win the election. And in July, they end up in a field and Hamilton dies. If you look back a little bit more in history, three years earlier, Hamilton's son was in that same field. He was in a duel and he died. And now his dad's in the same field doing the same thing you know when you when you get to remembering the trespasses against you when you keep account of those and you think about all the evil you think somebody's done to you it does something to you here and here you would have thought that Hamilton would have stayed away from guns and stayed away from duels because his own son had died in one and his daughter had an emotional breakdown when her brother died. And here dad is bringing that kind of hurt on his own daughter again. There's no place. There's no place for you and I to keep account of evil. You want to think about something? Think about Jesus. You want to think about something? Think about how would Jesus act in this situation. Don't keep recounting the evil. It'll drive you into a very dark place that you don't want to go. If you look on down, you'll see an interesting thing in verse 20. He says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As you've traveled around the world, if you come upon an American embassy, here in the midst of a foreign land, there's an American flag flying over a building saying, we're different. We're Americans. If you see an ambassador driving down the street, they have these little flags on the front fenders that identify them as not being a native of that local area, but being Americans. And be assured, if an ambassador speaks out in contrary to what the policy of Washington is, they don't remain an ambassador very long. They are there to speak on behalf of our government. They are there to be a reflection of our attitudes and our principles and what we believe. And that's their function. And now Paul is saying, let me tell you about your function. Your function is to represent God. To stand out as being different than other people in our own society who don't know Jesus. And you're to be consistent in that as an ambassador for Christ, wherever you go, whatever you do. And if you keep thinking about that, that he's entrusted that opportunity to you, you're more likely to do it. And then he reminds us, he made him who knew no sin, Jesus, to be sin on our behalf. That's kind of the Lord's way of saying through Paul, okay, we've talked enough about this. It's very simple. God did something for you you couldn't do for yourself, and don't you ever forget it. You couldn't save yourself, but by grace, he has saved you. So quit thinking in the flesh. Quit thinking about what other people have done to you. Move beyond that and be the new person Christ wants you to be. Be an ambassador for him. And live that day in and day out the rest of your life. You understand? Now, it must be possible or God wouldn't ask you and I to do that. And it's got to be a blessing. It's just got to be a blessing. Because he does what's best for us. All things work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose.